Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Thank everyone and welcome to episode 18 of the Bible Unmasked. We want to thank you for joining us this evening. Um, so as you know by now, this is our Bible study that is aired on Sunday nights at 7.30 p.m. on YouTube and Plantation SDA TV. And our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021. The reading plan is shared with everyone during Sabbath service and on social media. So please read with your family members, your friends, your coworkers, and text your questions in advance to 954-388-8780. Our pastors and Principal Stevenson are available every week to answer your questions. So also we want to ask that you take a moment to subscribe to the Plantation SDA's um, church's YouTube channel. So you will be automatically not notified of uh, future episodes or any other live stream event. Now, um, Pastor Joe is, of course, with us this evening, and he will be taking us through our Bible study. And originally, we should have had Pastor McCoy, Olivia Smith, and Karina Edwards, um, you know, taking this evening's um, Bible study. However, Pastor Joe, um, our beloved Pastor Joe, will be leaving us, and so we've decided to switch things around a bit and have him on for this evening. So we're very happy to have you, Pastor. Good to be with you. Okay, okay, great, fantastic. Um, are you sad that you're leaving? Uh, <laughs> okay, I know you're sad, so. <laughs> experience in which you leave uh, somebody behind uh -huh. is uh, a bittersweet experience in the sense that there are ties that uh, you will be missing but at the same time you are heading uh, to a place where there are people so uh, your humanness will be able to evolve and develop there as well. But uh, every time you, you go through this, and as ministers, we go through this uh, quite often, it is uh, difficult. It's not easy. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, it will certainly, um, you will certainly be missed, but we know that um, you know it's all a part of God's plan. So, and I'm sure we can we can still. I know you're you're gonna keep in touch. <laughs> Just the same. Um, all right. So let's jump into our Bible study. And today, this evening, we are studying from Second Kings 19. We're continuing our study of Second Kings, and we go on to First Chronicles 6. Um, before we um, get into the study, um, <clears throat> let us have a word of prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for sparing our lives to see it another evening, another Sunday evening. And dear Lord, we ask that as we go into the study of your word, that you will open our minds, um, open our hearts, that we will be receptive of your word. Be with us, dear Lord, that we will be blessed and be with the listeners also and the viewers that they too will be blessed by our Bible study this evening. We pray um, in a very special way that you will be with Pastor Joe and his family as they are um, leaving us. However, dear Lord, we know that this is all a part of your everlasting plan. And we pray, dear Lord, that you will bless them and keep them and um, be with us also, dear Lord, and help that if we do not meet again here on this earth in this fashion, that uh, we will all meet in the heavenly kingdom. Blessing people's always in your name I pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so Pastor, last week we studied 2 Kings 1 um, through to 18. Tell us a little bit um, about what we covered 
in that study. Yes, uh, last, last uh, week's study focused on two very prominent personalities of the Bible, two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, we could see the final segment of Elijah's life. And then uh, Elisha, his disciple, came on the scene. And uh, we've seen a lot of uh, miraculous activity that these prophets performed, of course, by God's presence in their lives. So it was a, a beautiful reading of uh, situations in which the prophet steps in and uh, does something and uh, changes the course of action. Okay. <clears throat> okay, thank you for that. And we continue this week. Um, 2 Kings 19, and we're going to go through to Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 6. And we have a few questions for you, and but we have a question for um, that is relevant to last week's study. Um, the viewer submitted this after the um, Bible study had completed, so uh, we wanted to still address this, okay? So the question is, um, please clear up the confusion I see when reading 2 Kings 8, 16 to 23 in the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the um, ESV. So they're asking that we clear up this um, con the confusion. So verse 16 says, Joram was the son of Ahab, king of Israel, and Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Also, Jehoram's wife was a daughter of Ahab. My confusion comes about when, um, when verse 21 and 23 use the name Joram, when it's apparently referring to Jehoram. Joram would not have had a son named Asa, um, Ahaziah, who reigned in Judah. When I do the above reading in the NIV, it correctly uses the name Jehoram throughout. Why the difference in the um, King James Version, the NKJV, and the ESV? ESV is the English Standard Version, right? Yes. Yes, okay. So here we have a, a name that has variants in the Hebrew language. So one... Uh, way of uh, writing that same name is Joram. The other way is Jehoram with an H. Okay. So um, in the original text, in the Hebrew text, you have them interchangeably. Now, some translations, because there are two Jorams, uh, they try to be consistent and make sure you know one is Joram and one is Jehoram. The Hebrew text is not that consistent. So you have to follow the action to see which one is in view. Okay. There is a verse, verse 16 there, in which both are mentioned. But the action is about one of them. So you have to follow the line of story so you can see which one is in view. So one translation may go with uh, uh, just the way the Hebrew text has it, with an H or without an H. The other translations may go um, interchangeably. So uh, it, it can be confusing if you do not follow strictly the storyline. But if you go with the flow of the passage, you will always know which one is in view there. Okay, okay. Um, in this situation, it is uh, the Joram that is uh, the son of uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So the story is about him. Okay, okay. And some persons have said that the, um, the English Standard Version is not a reliable version of the Bible, now that we're on the topic. Um, what would you say to that when you speak of different versions of the Bible, whether or not 
they are reliable or reliably translated or if they're missing information and if we should stick to a particular version? That's a very, very good question. And uh, I know people can love or like one version over the other. As somebody that speaks several languages, I know that every language has strengths and weaknesses. It's very challenging sometimes to express the same thought. Mm -hmm. And it can be even simple in different languages. You have a good chance to miss something in the translation. That's why there is no perfect translation. That's why I highly recommend that when you read a passage of the Bible, you go and read it from several translations if you want to, to see a clear picture. Okay. Now, there are two kinds of translations. One is the literal translation. When the translators, because most of the time there's a committee of translators, they try to uh, give you the text in your language with accuracy based on the original language. So there's a literal translation. And there are living translations. As a theologian or a Bible scholar or somebody that really studies the Bible, always try to read the passage in a literal translation. It may sound more dry and more difficult to read, but you are much closer to the meaning than if you go with a living translation because the living translations do paraphrase. And when you, you paraphrase something, when you try to express the same idea with your own words, so to speak, there is a good likeliness that you will miss something from the text. In the translation. Yes, yeah, so I, I recommend uh, literal translations. I know the King James versions are close to what a literal translation is. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the, new, the, the Jerusalem Bible, New Jerusalem Bible, it's a good translation. Uh, there's a, an old translation, but very good, a literal one. It's called Young's Literal Translation. Then, of course, I'm not saying that it's a problem reading it from a living translation. But when you want details, when you want nuances, you always want to go back to the literal meaning of the text. Okay. All right. Thanks for that, Pastor. All right, so now let's get in. We do have a couple of questions um, in relation to the, what we're studying this evening. First question with regards to our study for this evening, Pastor, is coming to us from 2 Kings 19, verse 1. And um, the, the, script, the text reads, When King Hezekiah heard the report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and went into the temple of the Lord. So the question is, people use this special clothing to go before the Lord in biblical times. Nowadays, some of us come to church in what others would consider inappropriate church attire. Some of us wear revealing clothes outside of church and on social media, making it hard to distinguish Christians from non-Christians. Are there any clothing standards for church members and their leaders? Yeah, very complex question. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see a direct connection between those questions and the passage. Because in the passage, we have um, a king that hears a report. And uh, because of um, the consternation he is going through, he tears his clothes and uh, puts on burlap and goes in the temple, into the temple of the Lord. So that is a specific situation there when something really bad happened. And you have that all over in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when something dramatic, something uh, 
uh, disturbing happened, somebody tore uh, his or her clothes. So uh, what that means is an expression of sadness, of uh, repentance, of uh, changing attitude or asking for God to change the attitude. Now, all those questions that uh, you asked there are very legit because indeed people used special clothing to go before the Lord in biblical times. But let me explain that. In biblical times, in the church sanctuary, the holy and the holy of holies, only the priests could go. Those that were set aside and they had specific uh, uh, rules and regulations as to how to dress. There was a specific dress code for those that officiated at the temple. So if you want to translate that in New Testament times, nobody in the New Testament but Jesus really goes into the sanctuary, into the holy and the holy of holies. All those priests that represent uh, the service of Jesus Christ and of heavenly beings in the Old Testament, they do not have an earthly correspondent in the New Testament. So we cannot say that in the New Testament, you have to have a specific dress code for you to be able to go into the presence of the Lord manifested in the church. Because in the Old Testament times, when uh, somebody came to the temple, they would stop in the courtyard of the temple. Worship for them happened in the courtyard. In a specific sense, what we call these days sanctuary, a building where we congregate for worship, it all happens in the courtyard of the heavenly temple, of the heavenly sanctuary. So then the question we have to ask is, did they have a specific way of clothing themselves when they went to the house of the Lord, to the courtyard of the temple? And here we have a, a few things that we have to speak about. The question says, nowadays, some of us come to church in what others would consider, would consider, I think is the right word there, inappropriate church attire. So then the question is, is there inappropriate church attire? And uh, based on the Bible, I would say yes. But inappropriate church attire is inappropriate attire outside of the church as well. Good point. <laughs> right? Because yeah. if you go to the, the New Testament, for instance, uh, you can uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and on. Uh, it's, it's obvious that God wants modesty and morality to be reflected in the attire of a Christian. So if a specific kind of clothing is immoral outside of the church, it will not be moral inside of the church and the other way of the, the other way around as well. If uh, in the church it's immoral, then it's immoral outside of the church as well. Because a Christian represents God Everywhere. Including, yes, including in his way of uh, clothing himself or herself, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, of course, in different cultures, there are different ways of going to church. Right? Uh, some people, uh, if you're a male, you cannot go to church without a, a tie. There's no biblical specification about ties. I could go even further telling you that... Uh, the tie uh, in its beginnings, right, where it comes from, has immoral significances attached to it, which with time was eliminated 
but uh, if you want to go back to the origins, you will find that uh, a, a, a tie is actually a phallic symbol. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is that you cannot say, hey, uh, um, you have to come uh, wearing these kind of these specific uh, kind kinds of uh, uh, pieces of clothes. Right? Nevertheless, it does matter how you come to the Lord because mm -hmm. it gives you a specific sense of who you are and who God is for you. Uh, saying that uh, you, you just come as you are is very good when somebody has no knowledge of God. The church should be a safe place where somebody can come no matter how he or she is. But then there's a process of growth in which you realize that you want to come to the Lord in a certain way that places you in, in your own understanding in um, a place or to a place where you know you are respectful toward God, even in the way you dress. For instance, if you are a mechanic and uh, you wear a certain uh, kind of attire, right? When uh, you do uh, body work on the car. Uh -huh. Right. That kind of attire may be even clean. And there may be a situation where you are dressed in that attire and you have no time to change. You are on your way home and you want to pause at the church and pray. No problem about that. But I don't think uh, you want to come every time you come to church in your body shop attire. No. Because that's your body shop clothes. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't have any other clothes than that, come as you are, right? But if, if you really have uh, all kind of clothes, when you come to the house of the Lord to intentionally pick the uh, uh, mechanic um, uniform, it can be a little odd, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to say the least. Now, there's another component of the question here. Some right. of us wear very revealing clothes, very revealing clothes, a very nice way of saying it, very revealing clothes outside of church and on social media, making it hard to distinguish Christians from non-Christians. <laughs> Are there any clothing standards for church members and leaders? Well, let me address this uh, outside of the church and on social media. As I said, you represent God not only in the church, but also outside of the church. Even on social media. Social media is virtual, but it's not non-real. Some people have the impression if it's virtual, hey, that's, that's only there. No, no, no. It is still real. It's virtual, but still real in the sense that the effects that that virtual world produces in the mind or heart and heart of those that watch those virtual things is real, right? Now, there is a certain uh, uh, phenomenon called uh, this inhibition effect. When somebody goes into the world, virtual world, or when somebody goes to a place where he or she thinks nobody can see him or her. I, I had that experience several times, you know, working in the big city as a pastor. You, you, you could meet somebody from the countryside, you know, somebody you knew, and you had a hard time to even recognize that person. Okay. Because of the disinhibition effect. The disinhibition right. effect is about having this sense that, hey, since nobody sees me, nobody knows me here, or in, a, in the social media setting, since this is not uh, real life, real world, physical world. I can I, do what I want. 
Yeah, I can do what I want. There's no problem about it. Well, that's not true. Because you never know who you will stumble upon. Uh, plus, you represent Jesus Christ wherever you are. Yes. All the more so if you are new in a certain setting. Mm -hmm. You go to a new workplace. From day one, you represent Jesus Christ there. Right. There is an, a certain aura, a certain air mm -hmm. around you, an atmosphere of God's presence with you. So, yeah, it matters how you dress. It matters. Now, of course, you, you don't want to uh, go uh, in church attire to work. Your workplace may require a certain uniform, right? And uh, I'm, I'm not saying that there can be no overlapping. But as I mentioned, immorality or anything that entices toward immorality, uh, lack of modesty, lack of uh, simplicity in, in your, your human reality, those things, according to the Bible, are highly problematic. Um, as, as a personal experience, you know, um, I try to be uh, somehow integrated in my culture, right? Culture, culture has components, two components. Component, uh, one component that is positive and one component that is negative. Not everything in a culture is bad. There are good things in a culture. Not everything that is in a culture is good either. Because there are good and bad things in a culture. Now, regarding clothing, the mere fact that today's culture, even at a, a very high level, maybe not at the level of the president, right? Because they, they will almost always appear with a tie. Right. With a suit, right? But at the highest level, culture has changed and, and not too many people today still love a tie, right? The younger generation, millennials and under, like my, my generation and younger, we would rather go like this mm -hmm. in a formal setting, right? Without a tie, maybe a more colorful uh, shirt. Um, yeah, you may have a, a coat on it somehow, but that's not even a must. Right? But then, but then uh, you know, you have those that are very classicists. They, they want to be formal no matter what. And uh, I respect that. I, I would never take somebody's tie off. I would wear a tie sometimes. But here's the thing, here's the distinction that I make for myself, I, I've never spoken about this uh, in a public setting. You may know that during the week, you may see me wear a t-shirt and a, uh, a suit coat uh, on it, a jacket on it, right? Um, you will not see me wearing that same kind of attire when I preach on the platform. Except okay. if there is something special that I want to bring across. Mm -hmm. Why? Because in my mind, I want to have a distinction for myself between the way that I live as a minister, as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor in my everydays, because I'm a pastor 24-7, right? Mm -hmm. not, only, not only when you see me on stage on Sabbath, but at the same time, when I come to, to the house of the Lord on the day of the Lord, on the, on the Sabbath day, I want to have that distinction in my mind that I wear something different from my work days. So most of the time, you would see me wear a shirt, a jacket, right? Um, and sometimes even a tie. But I would never push, never enforce my way of seeing reality on anybody else. What I would tell anybody, though, is, uh, hey, once you start knowing Jesus Christ the Savior, 
you know that this is not only about you. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't care. I just want to feel good. Okay. You, you want to feel good and I appreciate that and I, I give it to you. Nevertheless, when you are a Christian, there is no Christian without the other Christian. Right. Let, let me bring it closer. There is no Seventh-day Adventist without the other Seventh-day Adventist. Right. Your actions have effects on others. My, absolutely. My presence impacts right. those around me. Right. And if I come to the place of worship, knowingly and intentionally, someone else, yes, uh -huh, prepared in a way that I would draw attention to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I run the risk of becoming the center of worship to other people. I am off. I have to repent and come back to my senses and, uh, <laughs> and do, do the right thing. Do the right thing. And, and what we're saying here, Pastor, is that we are ambassadors for Christ. And everything that we do should reflect that. And we live our lives to please the Lord, not to please man. Right? So... Even in our dress and trying to be modest and to everything must be done with the hope of pleasing our savior, Absolutely. not to please others around us. So we're not going to dress so that others in church can look to us and look at us and say, oh, um, you know, if that is our object objective, then we may fail. If we know God and we decide that we are his children and we are going to try to do everything we can to please him, then we will not, we may not struggle in that area. And you made a very good point. It ha also has a lot to do with culture in terms of how we dress. When I watch Maranatha mission stories and I see where they're going to all different parts of the world and I see how people in all parts of the world dress, I'm thinking if they were to step into our church looking like that, we may, you know, gasp and say, oh my gosh, how could they come to church? But that to them is modesty. So that also exactly. is a very good point. Modesty, modesty includes cultural sensitivity. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and uh, I, I, want to, I want to emphasize something important here. Uh, there are people that, that have a special giftedness in always fixing somebody else's. Uh, there you go. Okay. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not the right way of approaching it either. Mm -hmm. Okay leave people's attire to them and to God, maybe advise them if mm -hmm. there's a possibility, but don't fix their attires when they are in the church and uh, don't make them feel uncomfortable when they are in the worship setting. Right. Find a way, if you have to say something mm -hmm. at a teaching moment for somebody, then, then don't do it abruptly and don't do it, okay, somebody enters the church and, and you will go straight to that person, mostly a woman, mm -hmm. and, uh, and tell her, no, 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 this is a no, no. No, that, no, no. that's not a Christian attitude. You, no. you allow the people to worship and if you can do about it, something about it, then, then do it later and find the right setting, the right words, the right attitude. And if you know you are an abrupt and harsh person, stay away from criticizing other people's attire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. We have to go with the spirit of the Lord. All right. Let's get into... Um, our next question, it says in 2 Kings 19, verse 16, that incline your ear, O Lord, and, and hear. Um, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. So the question from this reader is, does God have ears and eyes? <laughs> and my question would be, what does it mean to reproach the living God? <laughs> But go ahead. <laughs> very, very good question. Yes. Uh, can God hear? I hope so. <laughs> that, that he has to have uh, ears, right? Yes. Can, can God uh, see? 
then he must have eyes. Well, very simplistic. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the thing. <clears throat> when God created us, the Bible says, he created us into his image. Right? What does that mean? Some people will say, well, in moral character. Some may say, well, you know, in our mental abilities. But uh, I have no um, evidence that uh, there is no likeness between God and me, even in physical aspects. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, right? Because here's, here's the challenge we have. Uh, I think you've seen a building, a, a historic building, like, or a cultural, an art center, a huge building, then brought to you in a miniature representation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a maquette. I don't know exactly how, how you... you mm -hmm. But uh, it is uh, a big reality brought to a smaller scale. Now, when you, you take that small representation and from there you want to recreate the big, you have a problem. Because the small doesn't give you details. If you had the big picture first and then bring it down, it would be much easier. But we don't have the big picture. We don't know what God looks like. Right. We only know what we look like. We look like. Okay. And we are told we are made according to, to his uh, image or in his image. Now, if that's what it is, then uh, I can infer, not only that, I have biblical, I, I don't have time to enter in it, I have biblical reason to believe that there is a physical component to it. To God, yes. Uh, to, to our likeness as well. Mm -hmm. Us being made into his image. And, and that, uh, of course, has some, some very interesting... Uh, um, results in real life okay because if i'm made into god's image and you are too then it's uh, problematic for me to think that you are inferior to me or i am superior to mm -hmm. somebody or inferior to somebody right mm -hmm. because uh, even in the physical component and, and and i'm emphasizing this physical component because because of the racist realities of our life of our world right it right. is the physical component that makes the differentiation between human beings but if we are all created in his image then that falls apart right mm. so so uh, yeah i believe there is uh, some sort of a physical component uh, um, when it comes to God's image, God's picture, what that means, if he has uh, the exact kind of ears that I have or nose or, or eyes, uh, I, I will not go there. <laughs> so we don't know the form. We don't know his form or the form of God, but we do know that, he, and he says it elsewhere in the Bible, that he hears and he listens and he sees us. That, that's the point. So we know. <laughs> he hears, he sees, he feels us. Yes. His hand is not shorter. Right. So, <laughs> so we, have, we have plenty of, of uh, biblical elements. Some, mm -hmm. some may, may call these things anthropomorphisms, meaning that mm -hmm. the human being expresses God's reality in a human language. Mm -hmm. And I can take that to a certain degree. But still, when uh, God says, uh, I love you, uh, or my heart is broken, uh, I tend to believe there is some sort of correspondence between what I live, what I experience, and 
the way he experiences reality. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, let's jump right into the next question. Second Kings 20 um, verses, uh, verse one, and then three to five. It says about that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you. Uh, this is, this is um, the king responding. Um, Single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Um, then he broke down and wept bitterly, but... Um, before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. He says, go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. So the questions, we have two questions here. Can we bargain with God? And, and um, question two, can we change the course of action or destiny? through prayers? Very, very deep questions. Mm -hmm. And the answer to both questions is yes. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, uh, you can uh, negotiate with God. Why? Because God cares. He is interested in what you believe and what you want and how you experience reality. He knows, even if he doesn't express it to you, what is going on with you, but he wants you to feel it. He wants to make you aware of the fact that, yes, he, he really cares. He does. Mm -hmm. care. Now, there are two philosophical uh, elements here that people quite often see in contrast and Tension. One is God. God knows everything in advance. Mm -hmm. He knows the future. He's all knowing. He um, all pre-knowing, which is a little more than all knowing. All knowing mm -hmm. can be or uh, omniscient. It can be knowing everything at a certain time. Okay? But all pre-knowing or foreknowing knowing before is that you know everything even in advance. Right. That's, a, that's a very uh, special kind of divine knowledge because knowledge, the way we experience it, is we know something that exists. Mm-hmm. So knowledge, our knowledge is dependent on something that exists. Or based on something that exists, we may infer on something that does not exist yet. And that's premonition and uh, uh, it, it, it can be guessing or uh, informed, educated guess. Right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to God, he knows in advance even without the presence of the object or reality to be known. That's, okay. That's a very superior kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that's one component. The other component is, okay, so if God knows everything in advance, then where is my will, my, my decision, my uh, willpower, my freedom of choice? Where is it if God knows everything in advance? Well, that's the point. God can know everything in advance because he can know all the variants that can happen, all the possibilities. And from all the possibilities, he can know the right thing or the very thing that will eventually happen in history. History is not predetermined. It's not a given. Your life is not predetermined. Your life is based on your choices. God knows your choices, mm -hmm. but God always allows you to make your own choices. And uh, when it comes to um, your choice, it is important to know that you are not hindered by God's foreknowledge. 
So in the specific uh, case of this, this king here, God tells him, hey, uh, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Then uh, he cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, uh, why, why now? Hey, give me, give me some more time. And uh, God speaks again and tells him, yes, I'm going to grant you 15 more years. So how, how is that? Did God change his mind? From a human standpoint, yes. Did God know that's what was going to happen? Yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the equation of reality, prayer can change the outcome. Why? Because among other, among other things, prayer is an argument for God in front of the whole universe uh, through which he can act in a certain way in somebody's life. And right. in the life of this king, God uh, decided that uh, it was a good thing to accept the plea of the king mm -hmm. and uh, to do what the king asked for. Give him some life. Although in the long run, that became detrimental in a way to mm -hmm. him. But in the big picture of reality, the big uh, scope of uh, life, God knows what is the right thing to do. And sometimes God accepts your plea, even if from a human standpoint, you may think, oh man, it would have been much better for that human being to die yesterday than give him three more days and then uh, go into some, some horrible things. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, and this was an opportunity for Hezekiah to exercise his faith in the same way that we have that opportunity when we see things um, happening around us to go to our Lord in prayer and ask, and ask, you know, boldly, go boldly before our Lord and ask for a different outcome if, if necessary. You know, um, a member of your family is dying, something is going on in your life that is unfavorable. You know, you can take it to the Lord in prayer. Uh, and that's what I see let, here. Let me, let me note something else here. We uh, tend to emphasize that God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. So he can do whatever he wants. But then uh, if you ask, is God really sovereign? The answer is yes and no. In what sense? In the sense that he has the sheer power to do whatever he wants. But in actuality, there are limitations that he takes on because of some rules of the game in which the evil is also involved. Mm -hmm. So in, a in the life of a believer, for instance, like in the life of Job in the Bible, uh, was it God's uh, will to cause suffering to Job? It's, it's not obvious from the Bible that God wanted to punish Job, right? On the right. contrary, it's mm -hmm. the enemy that wanted to harm him. Right. The devil. But then... Did God uh, hit Job? In the final end, yes, because he could have stopped the enemy doing that. And that's why Job never, never argues against the devil. He always discusses his problem, his, his uh, burden, his uh, suffering with the Lord, with God, never with the devil. Because he knows this would have not happened to me had not God allowed it. But uh, God allowed it. Why did he allow it? He didn't have the sheer power, the muscles, so to speak, to stop it. He did have the muscles. Right. But there are arguments, reasons superior to what muscle can do. And that's the argument of love. Love being a power. And the argument of love in this case was when God allowed the enemy to hit Job, to, to do harm to him. 
And love proved that even if that happens, somebody can still stay faithful to God. Because mm -hmm. God poured out his love on Job and Job will answer back in love to, jo to, to God no matter what. So yeah, uh, history, history is something that happens based on many components. Among those many components, it is your willpower, the willpower of those around you, the willpower of uh, the unseen world around you, mm -hmm. the devil himself, and the most important component, which our orchestrates reality, is God's power, God's willpower, what God wants. And how okay. he, will, he will use reality in a way in which he will not infringe on other creatures' willpower, but at the same time, he will uh, follow through with his plans in somebody's life. That's an okay. amazing way of of looking at the puzzle of rock. Okay. Somehow we seem to be running out of time, Pastor, but I want to just get one more question in. Second Kings 28 to 9. Um, it says, Meanwhile, Hezekiah had said to Isaiah, What sign will the Lord give to prove that he will heal me and that I will go to the temple of the Lord three days from now? Isaiah replied, This is a sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Would you like the shadow on the sundial to go forward 10 steps or backward 10 steps? So the question is, should we ask God for signs? In our prayer to God, should we say, Lord, I'm asking you for this and I'm asking you to show me a sign. And if we don't see that sign, does it mean that our prayer is not answered? That's a good question. Um, I would answer like this. We should not, but mm -hmm. we can. It's not, it's not that we should but we can. Yes. If I'm understanding this right, asking for a sign is almost a sign of lacking faith. It's when God told you something, but you say, ah, say it again. Uh, <laughs> but not like that. Uh, do something crazy. Okay. And, and God seems to, seems to get into the game mm -hmm. sometimes. I'm, I'm not sure every time, though. <laughs> right. But, but there are situations in the Bible, Gideon, uh, this, uh, the, the king, mm -hmm. Hezekiah, right? When God enters the game and he says, okay, let me do this for you. And in this case, I, I think we, we have to, to not skip this uh, the next, next question would have been, uh, is that possible given that the shadow depends on how mm -hmm. it turns around that sun? Is that possible? What God did, right? Because Hezekiah was asking for a sign. Let the shade go back. Or this, right. And uh, that, as a natural phenomenon, is impossible. So it has to be a miracle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a natural phenomenon. The shade, if, if you have a pole or a post, and because uh, this is a, a sundial kind of thing. Right. Okay, so you have a post and the shade is projected on the ground. So then uh, if the shade is to go backwards, then, then the movement of uh, the earth around the sun has to change, go, go back. Okay. So then the debate is, and, and some people discuss this, whether the miracle uh, consisted in the fact that God moved the, the, the rotation mm -hmm. of the earth backwards. Uh, and that entails a lot of other things because the whole universe is, is interconnected, right? So mm -hmm. that... that sounds like God messed up the whole universe for King Hezekiah. <laughs> Which is not so. <laughs> so, so, so what, what if he wanted to do that? Or the other, the other way of explaining it would be that uh, the miracle only happened at the level of the, um, the outcome. 
So it, it not the cause, it was not the cause that was altered, the rotation of the earth around the sun, but the result of it. So God only acted upon the sundial, not upon the sun. I don't know what happened with it. Right? <laughs> None of us know. And, and that's, <laughs> but that's, all things, we do know that all things are possible with God. Yeah. We do so know. <laughs> whatever God wanted to do, the point is, it yeah. happened for the king in a way that he said, man, God is in this. Yes. The shade went back, which is not normal. Yeah. Okay. And it was a confirmation for him that it happened. Right. And, and, and that what God um, told him will happen really would happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amen. Amen. Now, there is so much more that we can cover in these, these verses, you know, these chapters. Um, but we have uh, actually come to the end of our time. And um, so, again, we want to thank you, Pastor Joe, for... Um, walking us through our Bible study this evening. And we want to invite our viewers to read 1 Chronicles 7 through to 2 Chronicles 4 for next week. Um, Chronicles is one of those books of the Bible that, you know, some people are a little bit, um, you know, it starts off as, for example, with just naming names and all of that. And some people will even skip over Chronicles, but there is a lot of of good information there. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, do you know, do you know why there are so many names there? Uh, go ahead and tell us, Pastor. Because uh, when when somebody has a child, a, a son or a daughter, you need yes. an, an inventory of names. So you can go there and, and pick and choose. And pick and choose, okay. <laughs> so this is where everyone should look for to name that was, their child. That's a joke. That's not why, why you have to I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, so um, we're inviting our viewers to read First Chronicles 7 um, through Second Chronicles 4 for next week. Please um, read um, ahead. Don't read, don't read all at once. And as you read, text your questions into 954-388-8780. All right, next week we're going to have Pastor McCoy, Olivia Smith, and Karina Edwards who will be taking us through our Bible study. So um, what, tell us a little bit about what we have to look forward to for next week, Pastor. The story goes on. Yes. So, a, <laughs> lot of, a lot of names. Okay. And, and uh, some, some of the stories of the kings and of the prophets that were not noted in the book of Kings. Mm-hmm. Because remember when we had, when we had uh, the stories of the kings, after almost every king, you, you have uh, something uh, uh, like this. Uh, and aren't all the works, all the mighty deeds or, or sins of this king noted in the book of Chronicles of the Kings? So yes. that's the books of the Chronicles of the Kings. Exactly, exactly. And it's basically just... So you're reading through Chronicles and you're like, you know, you're saying, oh my gosh, didn't I just read this somewhere else? Because mm-hmm. you just read it. It's really just kind of summing up and it, it has chronicled. <laughs> the yes, that's basically what it has done. Okay. All right. So um, thanks again to our viewers. Um, and please remember to su- go ahead and subscribe to the Plantation SDA Church's um, YouTube channel. So you will be um, automatically notified of the any, or future episodes and any other live stream event. All right. So thanks again to you, Pastor Joe. I, I think Edward has um, should be joining us now. Sure. Cassandra is here, okay, not bye, Edward. <laughs> hey, Pastor Joe. Um, we are very saddened by... Um, your departure from Plantation. So I wanted um, to get on um, tonight to say goodbye and thank you. We are going to miss you because we love you. We love your children. We love your family. So on my behalf and on behalf of the Digital Evangelism Ministry, we'd like to thank you for your leadership to our church and to our ministry. I think you've supported um, our ministry from the beginning. It's a new ministry at Plantation. And, um, you know, you are on the podcast um, very, very often. And I'll invite my viewer, I mean, the viewers to go and listen to all the podcasts. I mean, Pastor Joe 
brings so much um, knowledge, so much wisdom to our podcast. Um, and also um, this Bible study, the Bible Unmasked, um, when we had that um, idea or when God um, pushed us to start this Bible study, Pastor Joe is the very first person that I called and he supported that project. So we will not have, so they would have not have any Bible Unmasked without Pastor Joe because he's um, guided us, um, he's um, advised us and Willie, um, any questions, you know, I will um, text Pastor Joe. So it's, it's, it's a big loss for plantation. I mean, it's a very big loss for our church and for the Bible Unmasked and for this ministry. So we'd like to thank you for all you've done for our church, but um, we believe in growth. So we know that you have to go um, to California. It's a beautiful state. So we pray that God bless you and your family. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I know we had to move things around um, this week so that it will be um, on this one more time. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do next month. <laughs> we don't have a new pastor yet. And I know that new pastor has very big shoes to fill, but know that God will provide. So God will provide and, and we pray that God bless you and your family. So thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Amen. Well, now I understand why. I, I, I was wondering, what, what in the world is Cassandra doing here? <laughs> okay. You didn't want to see me, Pastor Joe? <laughs> no, I didn't have anything against it, but uh, it was just, just uh, weird you know, uh -huh. to see both Edward and you uh, here, you know, dressed, dressed up beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, listen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, this uh, di digital evangelism department, uh, right, that uh, started not long ago, okay, yeah. has been a, a huge blessing and a growth experience. Um, I believe every single church should have a digital evangelism department. It's the 21st century. We have to have 100% uh, visibility in the virtual world while we stay 100% anchored in the physical reality. So thank you so much for your great leadership. Uh, you, uh, Cassandra and Edward, uh, your uh, BNMA uh, <laughs> have, been, have been such wonderful leaders doing this uh, not easy job. This is, this is not easy work. Always coordinate, always organize, always set up uh, timelines. Thank you so much, Levon. It's been a blessing to work together. Um, I, I don't think um, the loss, the loss is uh, uh, real in the big scheme of works, because uh, in God's paradigm of reality, you're only lost if you are lost for second death. That's true. Not even sure. death is losing somebody. And I'm not dying. I'm just moving on to another place. And guys, I want to tap into the expertise, the know-how that I uh, acquired here. I, um, uh, I, will, I will, for sure, I will ask your advice in, in, in things that we will be doing uh, in my new setting. Uh, you may be asked to do some uh, training down the road, you know, because uh, most churches, most, I would say 90% or more, have, have uh, no idea of what we are doing here at Plantation. Because the media ministry, the um, digital evangelism concept is very new in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are late already waking up to this but um, we have to we have to uh, disseminate the knowledge we have and and help other people as well so thank you so much and hey uh, now and then i may be able to hop in and uh, and uh, just uh, do something together with you guys thank you, thank you so much too, pastor exactly this we'll is electronic so i'm sure we can always ask you to pop in absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yes. we will be looking yes. forward to it you you will be miss pastor you will be very you guys. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So to close, we're going to ask Pastor Joe to pray. Yes, let's pray. Yes. Lord, this is not easy, but uh, it has to happen because you decided so. And uh, we are happy with your decisions, Lord. Uh, but at the same time, we feel um, some, some uh, discomfort because some of the relationships uh, that have been so close, so tight, um, will uh, loosen up. And uh, we may even lose some of them on, on the go. But Lord, we pray that no matter what happens, you will continue to use us wherever we are. And I pray for our viewers, our listeners, that their heart will be uh, grasped by the Holy Spirit. And uh, they will be able to continue to deepen their understanding in your word, knowing you better, serving you better, and uh, enjoying life with you at a higher level. We thank you so much. We praise you in Jesus' name through the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible and Must.